Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of Inside the Alliance, brought to you by K2 Sports. My name is Kevin Long. Here with me, as always, is Kevin Boswick. Had a big week in week two in the AAF. Uh, some different headlines that we saw, different things that we're going to hit and touch on. Uh, and as always, we're going to get to our picks for week three as well. Uh, but we're going to start first with some of the general headlines that we saw. First thing we saw is, uh, you know, some big time names uh, being recruited to the AAF. Uh, the likes of Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick. Teams are looking to infuse some talent in their teams and looking to put some big names into this league. Uh, also, a, a brand new owner in this league, and uh, Tom Dundon. So he's now uh, going to be the chairman of the Alliance of American Football. Uh, you know, infuses some money into this league at a time where they really needed it. So, Boz, I'll throw it to you here. What is your first reaction when you hear some of these headlines coming out of the Alliance of American Football? Well, the the marketing team really is working overtime. So uh, it's it's great to see them getting out on the forefront and getting front page of the news. But you know, uh, the first thing that that happened, uh, I think it was late last week, early this week, was the Kaepernick and Tebow offers uh, hit the news. So the the first big news that that broke was uh, the potential trying to acquire Tebow and Acker and Kaepernick this offseason. Um, they they put out the offer knowing that these are two high profile players who would drive audiences. Uh, both declined. Tebow obviously wanted to try to make a play at the Mets, which he might get. And um, as we saw in Kaepernick's case, he actually ended up wanting about 20 to 25 million to play for the team, which, uh, as we saw, was way, way over what any player was getting paid. Yeah, and to me, that seems like uh, that's more of a, a number you throw out there because you know you're not you know, getting that in any way, shape, or form. It seems like he had absolutely no interest in playing in this league. You know, he's he just settled on his case with the NFL. Um, you know, him and Eric Reed settled on that, the collusion case to, to keep them out of the NFL. And they had no interest in playing for this league, which, in my opinion, that hurts his argument in his case, right? His case is that he's doing all he can to get back into this league. He wants to be a part of the NFL. And if it weren't for the NFL owners colluding together to keep him out of this league, he would be he would be playing in the NFL somewhere. And you know, this just goes to show you that this guy is not really trying to do everything that he can to get back into this league, right? I mean, you know, he had some good years, the San Francisco 49ers. Obviously, he took over midway through that season uh, when Alex Smith got hurt and took the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Uh, and then the next year, he, he led them to the NFC Championship game, which, uh, you know, was impressive in itself. But the, the numbers started to decline. The, the 49ers started to decline as a team in his last couple of years. He was viewed as a backup quarterback by many at that point. And, you know, not to get into the politics of this because that's not the type of podcast we are. He was a backup quarterback with some baggage. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you're you know out there to sign a good backup quarterback, you don't want him bringing any kind of headlines to your team. You want him there for the games that you need them when your starter gets hurt and can fill in, maybe keep you at about a 500 level, give you a fighting chance in the playoffs if your team is that good. And that's really the reason at the end of the day why he didn't end up on any NFL team. It's not not that that, that these teams were colluding together to keep him out, in my opinion, uh, but you just don't want a backup quarterback that has that much 
that much baggage. Yeah, it, it's exactly like you said. Um, <clears throat> obviously, all politics aside, we could go on for hours. And, you know, if you wanted to hear that, just tune into ESPN for a couple minutes. But, you know, we're not that podcast. But uh, he, he would have fit in perfect with that AAF mindset where, you know, he had some flash to him, kind of turned into a backup. And it would have given him that second chance, almost along the likes of that Trent Richardson, where, you know, he had that high that high profile name. It would have drawn some fans. I mean, it, the, the one thing I will take from this, uh, even though neither Tebow nor Cap signed, um, kudos to the AAF trying to make that that offer out to there. So, you know, it, it shows that they're willing to bring in those players who might not be the best uh talented wise i mean i know tebow isn't going to be out there slinging the football you know he's 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 years away from that but you know they're trying to get the fans involved because it, any fan would love to see tebow throwing that ball or, or kaepernick throwing that ball i think of the fan base you'd bring in with kaepernick and it, it sucks that that he he really just didn't want to play football he, he's got his mind on his money and he's got his own actions and you know his own motives for what he wants to do and 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 everything and I, I wish they would have both signed because that would have been fun to see and you know more quarterbacks the better in this league in terms of tim tebow he falls into that regional idea where you know you get a guy from florida comes back steve spurrier is the one that's all over him to come play for the orlando apollos uh it, you know would have been a great name to to put down in that area you know orlando and gainesville not too far apart uh, I'm sure there would have been a lot of Gator fans coming out to see Tim Tebow play again. Uh, but a topic that we'll touch on a lot more later in the show, they have a better quarterback right now in Garrett Gilbert. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put Tim Tebow in over Garrett Gilbert right now. He looks like he is one of the, if not the best quarterback in the AAF at the moment. So Tim Tebow in a good situation you know, with the Mets, making his way up. You know, whether or not he actually has the baseball talent to get there or if it's a, a marketing ploy by the New York Mets to to get Tim Tebow up on their major league roster and sell in Jersey, things like that. It's, we'll put that aside. But, uh, you know, he, he's got a good situation for himself with the New York Mets and there's no reason for him to come back to the AAF. So I think it makes sense in this case for all sides to, to stay right where they are. The Orlando Apollos have a great quarterback in Garrett Gilbert. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. But uh, Kaepernick probably would have ended up on Salt Lake City. Um, you know, he has that Nevada ties to him. But um, and that would have been, you know, that would have been good to see see that extra quarterback. But that's a team yeah. that's looking for one right now. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, but yeah, the the Tebow situation that would have been an interesting quarterback controversy, especially if Gilbert, you know, you know, if he he showed out so far. But you know, if he doesn't show out in the um, first game, we might have an Atlanta legend situation going on too. Yeah, it's just the thing. You see it all the time, right? You see that, you know, guys who you thought were going to be good aren't who they who uh, you thought they'd be. You know, you know, I talked about it a lot because Zach Mettenberger was my guy. I thought he was going to be the guy to come in for the Memphis Express, not who he thought he was going to be. Aaron Murray thought he was a shoe in for the starter for the Atlanta Legends. Not so. You know, the other the other piece of this is you see. You see, uh, you know, with Josh Johnson going to the Washington Redskins earlier this year, quarterbacks can come and go. So Steve, Stur Steve Spurrier may be looking ahead a little bit, knowing that Garrett Gilbert just threw for 393 yards. He has four touchdowns, zero interceptions. This guy can absolutely be a backup or at least a third stringer in the NFL. There's no way this guy couldn't make an NFL team right now with the way he's playing. You know, the talent level is much different, but I would have to imagine that 
he could play in the NFL in some capacity, given how he's playing right now. So, uh, you know, it's interesting to see how that dy- dynamic is going to work out. It's something that we talked about earlier in the show. What happens when Garrett Gilbert gets signed by an NFL team after four weeks? Or the Orlando Apollo is still one of the best teams in the AAF. You know, it's going to change the entire landscape of the league. But that's the way that Bill Polian wanted to set it up. You know, they the goal at the end of the day is to be bought out uh, by the NFL and and hopefully become a, a minor league feeder for them. So uh, well, do, that's do, just something they're going to have to deal with over time. Do you think that the NFL team wouldn't just let them finish out the season? Because I mean, let's face it, any NFL team that signs a uh, a quarterback out of here, they're not going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, do you think that they let them finish out the season just to get the reps and, you know, see if they can compete that for that backup? I, I wouldn't. If I was an NFL GM, I wouldn't want my guy getting hurt. If, I, if I'm if i convinced that this guy's my backup quarterback, you know, you look at look at a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, if they lose Nick Foles and they're looking for a backup quarterback and they think that this is the guy that can, you know, get them through if Carson Wentz gets hurt again, then – yeah, I'm not letting him play another game. I've seen what I need to see. He's he's my guy. He's on my team, and you know I'll see you in July. I'm not letting him play another game in the AAF. And the contracts are set up this way so that they can get right out of their contracts and move right on to the NFL. Because at the end of the day, that's that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, I, I guess I see what you're saying, but I just I feel like if I'm an NFL GM, you know, it's a it's a low risk signing and and you say you sign up the contract and say hey we want you to finish out these last five games of the AAF season you know prove yourself but we have your rights so I I mean I want to see what they have and you know I'm sure there's a ton of legal work that that goes into that that you know if you can be signed for two different teams and whatnot but you know if I'm that GM you know who cares it's a backup third string quarterback go get your reps go go see if you can do do work you know it's the same thing like uh, uh, NBA you sign a guy overseas hey go prove yourself overseas uh two three years we'll bring you over if you're worth it right yeah that's exactly what I was thinking as well I, I think that would be a good way to structure these contracts um, you know, it remains to be seen how exactly that's going to work. We haven't really had our first case other than Josh Johnson, who was signed before the season started. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out and uh, how transactions will work and, and how that will change the entire landscape of this league. So i uh, going to move on to the next big portion of the news uh, beyond the, the Tim Tebow and the Colin Kaepernick. Uh, and that is the new chairman of the Alliance of American Football, Tom Dundon. He is the current owner of the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, you know, has a you know a, a lot of background in, in leadership and has had a lot of success in the business world. Uh, you know, he's based out of Dallas. He is the uh, previous CEO of Santander Bank. Uh, he's done a lot of good things in that area. Uh, you know, he's made a commitment to to keep the Carolina Hurricanes. In Raleigh, and, and hopefully, you know, he's trying to bring that uh, bring that franchise back to where it was back in the day. Um, you know, and he's a guy who, who clearly has taken an interest to this and, and sees the value in this league. So, making a two hundred fifty million dollar investment to become uh, the new chairman, Boz, what what do you think about this move, uh, both for the Alliance of American Football and, and Tom Dundon? So this news broke about a day or two ago, um, kind of out of nowhere. Darren Ravel sent out a tweet saying, um, 
you know, that that this happened. And then he kind of followed it up. And I'm glad you kind of took a, a pes- or not a pessimistic, a, an optimistic view on this, because I'd say 95 percent of news outlets and, and fans were overly upset about this. And uh, it just so happened that the same past weekend uh, there was a missed payroll to the teams. So immediately Ravel and all of the news sites put together two and two. The AAF is strapped for cash. They have no money. They need to get a quick injection of $250 million, And that's the only way they're going to be able to make payroll. And this league's failing and everything's a mess. Um, that is the worst take that I've seen online everywhere. And not a single website or, or news outlet reports otherwise. Everybody is saying that the league is out of money. They have no money. They're not even able to make payroll. But that's just not the case. You don't make a $250 million investment to a company that can't even make payroll after one week. You know, th- this thing is in the works for three weeks. And it, it, it just so happened that because they switched payroll companies and there was a couple days late for pay, they try to put two and two together and it's not the case. Yeah, I just can't imagine that they would have launched this league knowing <laughs> that they were not going to make payroll by week two. You know, it, it, this was only put together in about a time period of a year. But I can't imagine that, you know, Bill Poley and Charlie Ebersol would say, OK, let's give it the green light. We're going for it this year, knowing that they only had the funds to, to pay guys through one week. You know, week two, you're, you're already missing your payroll. So uh, I just find it hard to believe. I know those guys are good businessmen. I, I can't imagine that, uh, you know, it's it's anything more than, you know, some kind of error in the payroll uh, obviously, we don't have any kind of access to financial records, but I, I can't imagine that this league is already strapped for cash. You know, they're, they're, they're playing on every, uh, you know, on CBS, the first game. They got all kinds of deals with CBS, TNT, Bleacher Report. So I, I don't think this league's strapped for cash. You know, this league is going to make it through at least one year. You know, anything after that remains to be seen if this continues. But I, I would have a, a tough time believing that, they're really not going to make it. I just think this is good leadership to add uh, to, you know, a lot of a lot of good businessmen that they already have at the top. And if if you already didn't like um, Dundon already, he's he's a primary investor in Top Golf, which I know is very popular, uh, at least in the South and now up the East Coast. We now have one in New Jersey, which is uh, one of my favorite places to go. So. Uh, I think it's great. I'm really excited to see what this guy's going to do for the league. I, he's a, a business and a sports junkie. I, I think this is going to be a great combination. And I really am looking forward to seeing some of the great things that this guy does uh, for the league. Yeah, definitely. And and like I said, I'm glad you think that way too, because I was getting so fired up online, just irrationally for no reason, just out of nowhere on Twitter, just, you know, bad at my phone. Um, it, you know, leagues do fail. Uh, this league has not shown to be failing. They averaged about 20,000 fans per game last week. That's nothing to scoff at. That is amazing for those four games. And and the other part that, that everybody keeps missing, why would someone drop $250 million into something that fails on week two? You just don't do that. No smart person, no billionaire would do that. That's just a terrible investment for something that shows it's going to fail and they can't handle money. It's obvious that this is that he sees that this that this uh, Alliance of American Football is killing it. He wants to invest in it because if you're an original investor, you're making a ton of return 
and and things are going great. So it it's unfortunate how um, the timing of that with the missed payroll, but uh, I will say it keeps them in the news. So you know when you're <laughs> when you're a new league, no no publicity is bad publicity, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's just no chance that this guy is investing to to get this league through another couple of weeks to see how it goes from there. I mean, this this guy is in it for the long haul. He's seen the value. He thinks that he can bring something to it, uh, and he's ready to jump on board. So, yeah, I would discredit anything that you've heard about the AAF being strapped for cash. I would assume that they're in it for at least through the end of this year. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to, to Tom hopefully doing some big things in the years to come. So before we get to the game by game here, Boz, you have anything in terms of our, our general discussion, our opening talk here, anything uh, that you wanted to mention? Yeah, there, there was just one more thing I wanted to mention um, just about the games in general. Was there uh, jerseys? Uh, I love the jerseys. They were cool. Uh, they only have one jersey per team. Um, and this is terrible following it up from, from that rant saying that the league's successful and they have money, um, but they do only have one jersey per team. Uh, that's going to get very confusing because as we go on and we start talking about that Atlanta game, I, I was getting headaches trying to watch those two teams with similar colors play. Oh, my God. I was going to say the same thing. The gray and gold of the fleet and the purple and gold of the legends. I could not tell the purple and gray apart. I just had no chance. I mean, and if you're at any way impaired in terms of, you know, color blindness, you had no chance of telling those two teams apart. Absolutely none. So that's got to change. I think, uh, you know, some of these jerseys are crazy. You know, you look at like the Arizona hotshots and, you know, they clearly went all out on their uniforms. They're just a little bit too much for me. And especially like, that, that Atlanta-San Diego game was borderline unwatchable because of the jerseys. So um, I, I think that's a great point. And I hope that that changes soon because that's that's unbearable. So anyway, we're going to move on to the game-by-game. Game. Uh, we are first going to start with Salt Lake Stallions at the Birmingham Iron. Uh, this was Birmingham 12, Salt Lake Stallions 9. Birmingham Iron moved to 2-0. and Salt Lake Stallions dropped to 0-2. Boz, what are your initial thoughts on this one? So I guess overall, this was a pretty sloppy game. Uh, it wasn't a bad game per se, but it was just a sloppy game. You saw a lot of turnovers on both sides. And obviously when you have a 9-12 to game, um, you know, there, there's not going to be those big highlight reel plays. But uh, the one thing that really stuck out is that the Birmingham defense, uh, you know, they they built off that shutout they had on Memphis week one, and they solidified themselves as the best defense in the league. You know, the, the only touchdown that was scored was off that drop punt return, um, and then they let up one other field goal outside of that. You know, take take away that punt, that drop punt return, and they've let up three points in two games. Yeah, I, I think this, this defense looks strong. I mean, you know, they uh, shut out Memphis last week, and then they hold the Salt Lake Stallions to nine points this week. Uh, I think this is one of the best defenses in the league right now. I think that the offense lacks, uh, you know, it leaves something to be desired. Not much of a running game. Trent Richardson, they keep handing him the ball about 20 times a game, and, you know, he's churning out 40 to 50 yards, which is just not going to get it done in any football league. Uh, Luis Perez, he's he's doing okay. Uh, had a decent game. His completion percentage is not too bad. He's, uh, you know, 
hovering a little bit over 50%, almost 200 yards in the game. You know, no touchdowns, lackluster stats in my opinion. But uh, I think I think he's going to start to put it together. I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in this league like we've talked about. Uh, I think he's going to start to turn it around a little bit. And when your defense is, you know, getting off the field quickly and, you know, making stops, it, it can really help your team and it can really in turn then help your offense. So uh, I think at some point you're going to see uh, them start to play better. But I also don't want to discredit the Salt Lake Stallions team. You know, you got three zero and 2 teams right now in Salt Lake, Atlanta, and Memphis. And I think they're by far the best 0-2 team. I, I think Memphis and, and Atlanta are going to struggle all year, but you've got Salt Lake, who's played who, Birmingham and Arizona, who are two of what look like the top teams in the league right now. Now they're going back to Arizona. So tough start for the Salt Lake Stallions. I think they end up finding their way somewhere in the middle of the pack in this league, but off to a tough start in terms of their schedule in the first couple of weeks. Yeah, and they've been killing themselves, too. If you remember back on week one, they had a couple penalties on that last drive that Arizona had that just uh, ended the game and just dropped passes in the first week. Uh, This week, you know, they they were up up, uh, 9-0, going to go up 12-0, and they fumbled a snap on a field goal. Um, You know, they they just hurt themselves on stupid mistakes. So, you know, they have it. Uh, Going back to Trent Richardson, though, one thing I did notice, so he's still not doing anything crazy carrying the ball, still about 2.2 yards per carry. But uh, he is still getting involved. They did start working him in the pass game. So, uh, you know, I know he wants to get back in the NFL, and that's probably something that he wants to be working on because of how the NFL is going into that uh, running back uh, as a you know, receiving running back league. So, you know, they got him involved in the past game and it, it did work. Um, it, it was nice to see Perez drop back down to earth a little bit, the Michael Jordan of the AAF um, again. Uh, but it, it was good to see him drop back down to earth. He did have one great, uh, it was, he, he, he slipped out of the pocket, was on the run and he had the touchdown, but it was dropped by the wide receiver. So, you know, that could have changed how we viewed him too stat wise but uh you know he he's proving himself that he can be a capable quarterback for an elite defense and you know we see it in the history of football uh, a quarterback that can hold his own with a defense that's top notch that's you know that's championship contender in terms of Trent Richardson that's not anything that we expected from him coming out of Alabama you know he's a big bruiser I I don't think he ever caught a ball at Alabama I mean I'm sure I'm wrong but He's just not that kind of guy, and it's just interesting to see this happening because, like you said, you know, if he's not going to be able to work himself into a workhorse role, that secondary role is almost always a passing down guy. You know, you, you look at the New England Patriots. You know, they got Sony Michelle as their main guy, and James White is in there just as often as their passing down back. So, an interesting way for Trent Richardson to try to reinvent himself and get himself back into the NFL. Uh, but not something that I ever expected. I, you know, I'm used to the 19 carries, 41 yards, and one touchdown, Trent Richardson. That's, <laughs> that's the guy we all know and love. But uh, good to see him trying to find new ways to you know, get creative and, and uh, you know, do some good things for the Birmingham Iron. Definitely. So, and speaking about running backs, too, our, uh, our boy Asiata, he did have, I think, four carries. Um, one, I think he had a couple yards out of that, but uh, one key red zone fumble. Um, I think he's done. 
Yeah, like, it, it looks done. like it. Right, two carries, four yards, and a fumble. That that looks like it's the end for him. And they got some runners who yeah. are proven to be pretty effective right now. Brandon Oliver, we've talked about before, and uh, you know Joel Bowagnan, the the guy that we all talked about this this off season. We're all ready for it. Eleven carries, seventy yards, and a touchdown. Looking like he's starting to take over the role, or at least share it with Brandon Oliver. So. Salt Lake Stallions, the, the one answer they do have, it looks like it's at running back right now, uh, and Matt Asiata is not part of that equation. So uh, interesting to see that play out. It's not something we expected. Expected a guy with that kind of NFL experience to come mm-hmm. in and, and, quite frankly, take control in this league. Yeah, I mean, the age is getting up to him. So, But uh, you're getting better on the pronunciation of Bogdan. So each week we'll get a, we'll get slightly better. You you act like you knew that. Yeah, I'm cultured. So, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we're gonna move on to the Arizona Hot Shots and Memphis Express. This one was in Memphis, closer game than most expected. Uh, Arizona takes it twenty to eighteen over the Express. You know, the, the Hot Shots coming off of a, a high scoring affair over the Stallions and the Memphis Express, really doing nothing against the Birmingham Iron. Kind of expected this one to be quite a blowout, but, uh, you know, it really looked like the Arizona Hotshots defense just wasn't there. You know, I, I don't think Christian Hackenberg did anything special in this one. You know, 102 yards, 14 of 25, no touchdowns. That's, that's still Christian Hackenberg. That's a higher completion percentage than I'm used to, but I, I think that's more uh, a result of the – uh, the Arizona Hotshots defense not being there right now, which I think may catch up with them at some point this year. Zach Stacy, he's looking like a really good running back right now for the Memphis Express. He had a pretty nice game, um, you know, and the Memphis Express actually did an okay job holding down the Hotshots. They were able to pick off John Wolford a couple times, you know, a couple of bad mistakes on his part. Um, you know, the, the offense just wasn't quite there. Josh Huff had a nice game, Rashad Ross. So the Arizona Hotshots have some answers on offense. Uh, Cook and Presley had nice games as well. You know, they're, they're really, I mean, all of their guys, let me just read you off the, the rushing stats here. Tim Cook, 13 carries, 73 yards. Jarrell Presley, 12 carries, 57 yards. Justin Stockton, 4 carries, 54 yards. And John Wolf with the quarterback, seven carries, 25 yards. So, you know, Memphis had no answer in terms of the running attack. And, and you know, they were able to stop them a little bit through the air, uh, but but not as much as you would like. So, uh, Boz, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, Memphis scored the first points in their franchise history. So good for them. Good for them. Um, but no, on a serious note, though, you know, Hackenberg didn't have the stats, and I'm a Hackenberg hater. I've always hated him through Penn State, you know, everything like that. He actually played with heart this week. You know, he he was he's a team punching bag. He he got lit up on that that run for a touchdown. He got hit after hit after hit, but he had heart. And you know, say what you will about him, if he's not a good quarterback, whatnot, it's good to see someone who who cares as much as he does. So I, I will give him props for that. Well, I'm glad he's trying hard because he's on his last limb, I would say. I mean, this is a guy who was drafted in the second or third round by the, in the NFL by the Jets a couple of years ago. 
now he's on the brink of losing the starting job in the Alliance of American Football. You know, he he sees the writing on the wall. He's he's on his way out. We were talking about you know Mettenberger potentially starting this game. Uh, it looks like Christian Hackenberg won that job back and and got the opportunity to start again. But you know, 102 yards. No touchdowns, that's not going to get it done. And I'm sure he sees the writing on the wall that his time is almost up. It's almost time for my man Zach Mettenberger. It's, oh, it's got to be coming soon. Yeah, maybe maybe in a few more weeks. But now I, I did have a couple more notes, actually more on the positive side for Memphis because, you know, I really thought they were going to get blown out here. But uh, Stacy was fun to watch at running back. He was just a downhill runner, elusive. He just bounced off. It, it, he was fun to watch. And um, <clears throat> they, they did play good as a team in the first half. You know, second half fell off. But, you know, you got to take it one notch at a time. A um, couple notes on the Arizona side. Ross, uh, he might be, I'd say he's the second best wide receiver in this league. He's just got the moves. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for Charles Johnson killing it with Orlando, I'd say he's the best. But, uh, you know, he's 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 great connection with Wolford. And uh, lastly, like you said, Josh Huff, two catches, 84 yards. That's exactly what I expect. He's going to put up the yardage. Not going to have those catches because uh, he's not really a target guy. He's going to be that deep threat type guy. But um, it was fun to see him get on the board after a slow week one. Yeah, I agree. It was a nice effort out of the receiving core. Uh, Rashad Ross had a nice game. Uh, but definitely looking for more from this Arizona Hotshots defense. That's really the only thing that's keeping me right now from saying that this team is is elite in this league, the, you know, the top team in the league. I think there's there's another team that's, that's doing it on both sides of the ball uh, a little bit better than they are right now, uh, and it's uh, – you know, we'll get to that in a little bit as we get through the rest of the game by games. But do you have anything else for Arizona and Memphis? No, I mean, the better team ultimately won. That That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I agree. All right, so we're going to move on to the next one, which is the Orlando Apollos at the San Antonio Commanders. Now, I don't know about you, but this was the game that I was most excited for coming into this week. I and mean, obviously two 1-0 teams, but... Uh, the Orlando Apollos, who looked really good against Atlanta. Uh, San Antonio Commanders, whose whose defense looked like it was one of the strongest in the league coming off that uh, San Diego Fleet game. So I was very interested to see which way this game would go. And it looks like it ended up on the offensive side, where we saw by far the best offensive game uh, so far in this league. You know, Garrett Gilbert for the Orlando Apollos. Looks like the best quarterback in this league right now. You know, 393 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, I mean, those are great stats. This is a small sample size right now, so you got to keep it all in perspective a little bit. You know, looking back at, at Garrett Gilbert's past, he, he started off at Texas. He was, you know, starting in his sophomore year, but he had 10, 10 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. So this is a guy that's prone to, to, to throw in some interceptions. Now, by his senior year, he eventually transferred to SMU. Eventually, uh, you know, threw for 21 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Uh, so he's clearly figured some things out. Uh, he's he's grown and matured over these past couple of years uh, and his last couple of years in college. But you would have to think that you know the interception bug may be coming for him at some point. You know, 19 completions for 393 yards. He's definitely airing it out. He's taking some shots, and 
I, you know, it, it seems like he's just, he's kind of getting, you know, he's playing well, absolutely, but he's getting the luck of the draw right now. And I, I'm wondering if that's going to run out for him at any point in the season. Yeah, at this game, if if you could promise me every single AAF game was going to turn out like this, I would. T- it, the ratings would be off the charts. This was probably, if not the best, one of the best AAF games uh, in history, if you will. Um, but no, it, we we saw it from both sides. Both sides were playing incredibly well. Uh, Fair Kenneth Farrow's emerging as one of the best offensive players. Uh, not only put up seventy four yards rushing. Um, you know, he just bounced off defenders. He was fun. Uh, but he also put up 25, uh, 25 yards receiving. Uh, the On the other side, the Apollos, they tore up their defense and their secondary. Charles Johnson, when you put up 192 yards, he, that's just terrible in that secondary look for the commanders. It, it just seemed like whenever Gilbert wanted to make a pass, they he he was going to get it. You know, that, that double move was just killing that secondary. So um, on the other hand, though, too, uh, I know Mikhail McKay was killing it in week one. The the Apollos kind of shut him down week two. They made that game plan and and really shut him down. Yeah, they, they really kind of forced the ball the other way, right? I mean, they, they went after Mikhail McKay often with nine targets, but uh, you know ended up connecting more with Demarcus Ayers uh, on the San Antonio Commanders side. Uh, you know, that's a dangerous wide receiver duo that I see right there. You know. It, got some good efforts from from guys like Charles Johnson on the Apollos um, and uh, just like we were talking about Rashad Ross on on the Arizona Hotshots but Mikhail McKay and DeMarcus Ayers they look like a Mm -hmm. force to be reckoned with I think you know in terms of the best duo in in this league they're right up there Uh, you know obviously uh, uh, Jalen Marshall also did some good things for for the Apollos you could make the argument, you know, maybe even Charles Johnson is the best duo by himself at this point. That's the way it looks. Uh, yeah, he's playing really, really well. But I think the San Antonio Commanders offense, you know, is nothing to sneeze at here. They got Kenneth Farrow, like you just said, playing really, really well. A good duo in, in the wide receivers. And Logan Woodside, he's, you know, he's keeping the ball moving. He's, he's nothing special uh, necessarily, but he's not taking them out of these games. He's not making dumb passes. He's not throwing a lot of interceptions. He's keeping this team right in this game. And I think for the most part, the San Antonio defense is pretty good. I think Mm -hmm. you're not going to see them giving up a whole lot of 37-point games in the future. I just think the Orlando Apollos are that much better right now. I mean, call it the Steve Spurrier factor, or or maybe it's just the fact that Garrett Gilbert is – the best quarterback in this league, but the Orlando Apollos seem like they're on another level right now. They seem like they are playing substantially better than any other team in this league. Uh, I think they're doing it on on both sides of the ball. You know, they gave up 29 points to the Commanders, but like we said, they're they're a good offensive team as well. Uh, I think the Apollos are, are starting to pull ahead in this league as as the best team, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, uh, the defense did let up a little bit in the beginning, but uh, one stat that really showed out to me, so uh, San Antonio, they were up 20, 29-17 at, at you know, their high point, um, and at that point they were 12-19 and 19 on third and fourth down. After that point, they were 12, or sorry about that, they were 12-13 thir- on third and fourth down after that point. They went 0-7 on third and fourth down. 
So, you know, it, it showed that, that that Orlando defense really stepped up and they just didn't let them beat it. And it, it kind of got uh, really highlighted by uh, Ladarius Gunter's uh, pass deflection on the fourth down end zone play, um, which was just, you know, it, it was it was a great play. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's what makes Orlando the best team in this league right now is that they're able to do it on both sides of the ball. The other thing, they're really not getting any kind of a running game going right now. Uh, about 60 mm-hmm. yards on the ground for the game for this for this entire team. You know, not not a whole lot to to show for, but 400 yards through the air. You don't you don't need to run the ball a whole lot. So it'll be interesting to see how these teams game plan for Orlando moving forward. If you know you're going to play a little bit more zone defense and and play back a little bit, play the pass, make them force them to run the ball. Uh, see if they're able to get them out of their comfort zone, get Steve Spurrier out of his comfort zone. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes moving forward. But, you know, first couple of games here, you blow out Atlanta, you know, back and forth game with San Antonio, but another one of the, the better teams in this league, it looks like. And, uh, you know, they, they took it to them. So uh, I think they're playing really well right now, and I'm looking forward to, to continuing to watch them play. Yeah, both both teams played, and I did want to touch on one more because th- this part actually has uh, uh, been pretty interesting to me because I know kickers are, are going to be plucked from this league like crazy for the NFL. Both kickers went three for three. Uh, Rose for the Commanders also kicked a 50-yarder, and Fry kicked a 47-yarder for the Apollos. So, you know, kicking's been pretty good. Uh, I think there was one game where they missed a couple, but the kickers keep outdoing themselves each other so it's that's just a fun little note to watch now on that note we're going to move on to our final game of week two which was the sunday night game atlanta legends at the san diego fleet so a disappointing loss for our atlanta legends one that it looked like they could have late in that game you know they had a chance late going into the fourth quarter uh i believe it was in a tie game at that point uh, nine to nine looked like they were uh, in position to potentially take that win in San Diego. You know, San Diego doesn't look like a particularly strong team, so I thought maybe this is one that Atlanta could win. Uh, unfortunately, it did not work out that way. Matt Sims played a little bit better than uh, than he did last week. You know, it was a little bit more along the lines of what we expect. You know, have a, a fairly high completion percentage relatively low yards and protect the ball for the most part only one interception uh Lawrence Pittman has been pretty impressive so far for the Atlanta Legends I think he's uh he's done pretty well in his limited opportunities I would like to see him get the ball more only nine carries for 42 yards in this one uh I think they need to get this guy the ball more especially with a guy like Matt Sims He's, he's a game manager at the end of the day. You know, mm-hmm. he's not going to go at you and win, win games. So to, to rush the ball maybe, you know, 15, 20 times for the Atlanta Legends, you need to rush the ball a little bit more than that. You need to help out Matt Sims um, and, and hopefully get some more points on the board. Yeah, I mean, the, they got to change up something after this this 0-2 start. But, you know, the one thing I am taking away from this, I think these are the two worst teams in the league. It, it was just it, – it wasn't good football. I mean, uh, you know, obviously this is an infamous uniform game that, you know, messed with everybody. But it, it was just sloppy. It, there there was there was just not fun play going on and, and just nothing really outstanding. 
and especially leading up or, or following the Orlando San Antonio game, everyone was yeah. all fired up. It was like, oh my god, this this kind of looked like an NFL game. This was two high caliber teams going at it. it. You know, it wasn't poor defensive or offensive play really on either side. It was just two good teams going at it, and it's kind of what you would expect. You know, it's you know, it wasn't like the the Chiefs Rams game on Monday night. Uh, you know, midway through the NFL season, but <laughs> this is probably your AAF version of it, right? You got two teams, you know, I mean, the Rams ha- had an excellent defense. The Chiefs, you know, pretty good defense, but the offenses were just that good that they were able to outscore, uh, you know, what would otherwise be some good defenses. Uh, but anyway, you know, back to the, the San Diego game in Atlanta, uh, this was this was pretty disappointing, you know. That Philip Nelson and Matt Sims combined to do essentially a whole lot of nothing. Uh, San Diego, at the end of the day, pulled away because they started running the ball a little bit more and they found some success with it. Uh, I think that's what Atlanta needs to start moving themselves towards doing. They they sort of realize that their pass game is not going to get it done at this point. You know, Jaquan Gardner and Terrell Watson had some good games after they got past that point. Um, so, so this team has sort of started to figure out their strengths and weaknesses and, and was able to effectively navigate that a little bit better than the Legends. But at the end of the day, you said it. These are two bottom feeders. You know, I think you, you take an 0-2 Salt Lake Stallions team to the San Diego Fleet team. I think Salt Lake takes it easily over this easily. team. I don't think that that either of these teams, along throw Memphis in there, I don't think the three of those teams are really up to par with the rest of the teams in this league. Yeah, definitely. And I did want to talk quarterback play uh, just a little bit. Um, I know Nelson was a winning quarterback, but I didn't have anything good to say about him. I mean, he's a running quarterback. He's He can run the ball better than he can pass. Um he did have one of the coolest, uh, stupidest passes in, you know, football history with that behind the back, you know, hey, someone please try to catch it for a, a nice little save me three yards pass. He didn't so, make it look good like Patty Mahomes does. Um, it was, well, they brought it up after that happened too, but <laughs> it, it was so different. That was just, I mean, that that was honestly on the the same stupid level of of Mark Sanchez's Mark Sanchez's butt fumble. Honestly, when when you just look at the arms flailing up in the air, like please someone catch it, save these three yards of sack that are so important. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that you can say that's good about that. I mean, it just happened to fall into your guy's arms, but there's no reason that you're ever throwing that ball. I mean, I can't imagine mm-hmm. what the percentages uh, of uh, you know, success in terms of a play like that. That's, well, that is right, right now it's football play. Right now it's 100%. So, I mean, well, if you know something, true. we don't. Uh, uh, real I quick, mean, too, about Sims. Um, I know fans are furious about trying to put Murray in, but he's, I mean, you know, when Murray came in for, in week one, he didn't do anything that was spectacular. Sims, like you said, is a game manager. Uh, that wide receiver wasn't necessarily his fault. It was literally in the hands of the wide receiver and just got hit out. Um, I don't think Sims is the, is the problem. You know, if if you're looking on on Twitter, whenever Atlanta posts a mess, posts anything now, it's a thousand Atlanta fans saying put Murray in, put Murray in, and I don't think that's I don't I don't think that's going to change anything. 
yeah, at the end of the day, it just doesn't look like Murray is ready or Murray will ever be ready to, to play in this league. You know, you certainly could say, I would love a better option than Matt Sims. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, there are guys that, that could do a better job than Matt Sims, but I don't think Aaron Murray is the answer right now. I think I think you got to start looking elsewhere. You know, he's going to keep you in these games. He's, again, like we've said, He's not going to get you out of the game by not taking care of the ball uh, for the most part, and, you know, save the, the first game of the season. But, um, you know, I, I think this, this defense needs to step up, help out a little bit. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the offensive scheme right now. I, I don't think that, uh, that they're running the ball enough. I don't think they're, they're getting a good mix. They're just trying to rely on Matt Sims, and, you know, you kind of get what you're going to get. You know, you need to um, – you know, evolve the running a little bit more and, and get him some help because he's not going to be the guy to put you on his shoulders and win you the game. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It's it, he, He's just an average quarterback at the end of the day. And, you know, you got to make it work. And they, like you said, you need to get that rushing game going or they're not going to get anything going for the entire year. And it, it stems from changing their head coach and offensive coordinator. So, you know, Hopefully, maybe by week four or five, they start figuring it out. But who knows? Maybe it's going to take a full year. On that note, we are going to move on from our week two recap and move into the week three preview. So as we've done on previous shows, we're going to make our picks. We're going to make them against the line. So you know, if you're a betting junkie, get out your notepad right now. And uh, you know, let, let us win you some money here. We're, we're going to make some picks on all the games against the line, over-unders. Um, and we are going to start with the Saturday game at 3 p.m. That is the Arizona Hot Shots and the Salt Lake Stallions. So interesting to see already in week three, we have rematches. We have the entire West Division playing against each other again. You have Arizona playing Salt Lake, and you also have San Antonio playing the San Diego Fleet again, which are both rematches of week one so interesting thing of note um, and to go back to the Arizona Salt Lake game earlier this one was in Arizona it was Arizona 38 Salt Lake 22 uh, this one is in Salt Lake got the Stallions plus four and a half the over under set at 44 uh, Boz why don't you lead us off here uh, what are your thoughts on this game so for, for these rematches, since it's only week, week three, I'm kind of just reverting back to what happened week one. Uh, you know, hot shots one by 16. I know there's some variance because it's that home and away effect. Um, but I still think they'll be able to cover by about a touchdown. And I also think that over is going to hit. So I'm going to take hot shots in the over. Okay. So the, the home and away doesn't do anything for you? It doesn't change anything in your mind in this situation? Not quite yet. You know, Salt Lake hasn't had a home game yet, so maybe they'll come out. I, I don't know how big their fans are going to be, uh, if they're even going to be raucous at all. I, I don't know if Salt Lake, uh, you know, citizens are, are are that crazy. So I don't know what type of environment they're going to provide, but no, I think, they'll, I think they'll handle it pretty easily. You know, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is Salt Lake's first home game, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for them. Maybe they're excited to get home. Arizona, uh, their second road game in a row. Not a great showing at Memphis, who uh, I think they should have played a much better game against. 
I'm going to take the Salt Lake Stallions plus four and a half. Uh, I like them. I think that they're right on the cusp of, of turning the corner. They, uh, you know, played a good game in Arizona and at Birmingham. Both those games tight. Now they're going to get one at home, get an Arizona team that's been on the road now for two weeks. Uh, not impressed with the Arizona defense. I think Salt Lake takes advantage of that. Uh, I think they're going to push to win this one outright, but I, I think they Ooh. at least cover. At least cover. That's I love the outright. Good for you. Uh, over under in terms of this game, I'm going to take the over as well. Uh, you know, first one was was a 58 total. I don't see it being a whole lot different. Um, you know, neither of these defenses are all that great. I think there's some pretty strong offenses, so I, I think they hit the over on this one. So Salt Lake and over. The next one is a Saturday night game. That's the Memphis Express at the Orlando Apollos. Uh, the Orlando Apollos are 15-point favorites. Now, this is when you realize you're talking about, yeah, not about the NFL. You, you never see that. Generally, don't see that kind of a line in the NFL, really only in college football. So that's when you start to see that there's some discrepancy here in this league. So uh, minus 15, Orlando. Over under set at 45. Uh, I'm going to take the Orlando Apollos in this one. I just think this team is too good, man. I think they are head and shoulders above the rest of this league. Uh, I, I don't think that there's really any doubt about that, even after two weeks at this point. I think Garrett Gilbert's going to continue to play well, but the interception bug may bite him, as we talked about earlier in the show. That's the only thing. That, that potentially scares me about that matchup. Um, and in terms of over-under, I am going to take the over in this wow, one. Wow, two overs in a row. That's double you've taken. I know. I've only taken one in previous weeks before this, and it's proven reliable. But uh, I think I think teams are starting to figure out this league a little bit. I think Orlando may put up 45 on Memphis by themselves. I think Memphis will put up some points themselves, so I see this one hitting the over. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you fully on uh, the over and Apollos, but I'm actually kind of taking this uh, a different route. I, this is what I believe, in, and now sometimes when you bet, I feel like you kind of get inside your mind and you try to get inside Vegas's mind. I think Vegas wants to see... Uh, you know, Memphis had a close game against Arizona in a game that they shouldn't have been close. So betters are going to be like, oh, yeah, I can get a, a, the uh, Memphis Express plus 15. Like they just held Arizona within two points. Like that's an easy win. So when I see those lines kind of get crazy, it's, you know, it, I, I like to I like to take that that chance. It's the same thing. Like I, I was taking the over on all the Oklahoma games that were, you know, 82 points as the over, you know. I'm going to try to hit that because I feel like they, they try to float that line as an unusually high number that, that, you know, that actually will end up hitting. It also seems like uh, Vegas is, is more on board with the fact that this is going to be a fairly low scoring league. You got, you know, basically simple forms of offense that are being run here because these teams and players don't have a long time to get to know each other and play together for, for years or, or even months at that at that rate so uh the over-unders this week range from 38 and a half to 45 and i think the first week they're all in the 50s maybe a few pushing 60 and, and you know that was a much easier game to predict at that point so 
you know, mind you, I'm, I'm picking over in the first two games, but uh, the Vegas lines are much lower than they once were, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago. So moving on to the Sunday games, first one we got at 4 p.m. is the Birmingham Iron versus the Atlanta Legends. I don't know how I feel about this one. The Atlanta Legends are a squad, uh, but Boz, I'm going to throw this one to you first uh, for your prediction. So kind of going off that same mindset, I see that 38 and a half, and I see it as a challenge. I think it's going to go under. I, 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 Birmingham does not allow points on, on defense. They also don't really score. So I can see this being one of those tight, you know, three to five point game kind of going either way, probably will end up with, with a uh, Birmingham win, but only by a couple. So, you know, that's, that's why I think legends are going to be able to carry that six and a half points. And, you know, I, I could very easily see this being a, uh, a 12 to eight game or, or something like that. Just very low scoring, but iron ultimately find a way to win it. Um, you know, hopefully Sims can you know figure it out, but uh, yeah, I got legends in the under here. Legends in the under. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. This is going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, I, I'm between the over-under at this point. I, I think Birmingham is going to keep Atlanta to a low-scoring, to, to little to no points, I, I think. I, I think I'd be surprised if they scored double-digit points in this game. But I'm just wondering if this Birmingham offense finally starts to break out in this game You know, against a weak Atlanta Legends team. 38 and a half points is not a lot. Uh, I'm going to stick with the under just because I think Birmingham takes control of this game and you know, doesn't end up giving up a lot of points to Atlanta and they just hit cruise control. Uh, they're not passing the ball a lot. I- I'm going to take Birmingham minus six and a half as well. I'm taking them with the points. I just haven't seen enough from Atlanta at this point. You know, getting uh, beat by 12 last week by the San Diego Fleet, who I think are, you know, uh, not nearly as good as the Birmingham Irons. I, I think the Birmingham covers easily in this game, but over-under is going to be close, sticking with the under. Good call, so good finally, call. finally, we got Sunday night, 8 p.m., San Antonio Commanders and the San Diego Fleet. So, again, this is another rematch from week one. In the week one matchup in the Alamo Dome, it was the Commanders over the Fleet. 15 to 6. And in this one, actually, Boz, what do you have? What are you seeing on your line right now for this game? I'm seeing two and a half. Okay. So I'm seeing, I think this just updated in live time for us. Oh, I think breaking news. Updated. Breaking news. Did I'm you have seeing... anything written down before the show? Or is this two and a half? I had it at two and a half before the show, too. Okay. All right. I saw something that just flashed up on my screen, so I just wasn't sure. Uh, but either way, so we got San Antonio plus two and a half. Interesting. I was reading that the other way around. That makes my decision a little easier. And over under set at mm-hmm. 43 and a half. So San Diego at, uh, I'm sorry, San Antonio at San Diego. San Antonio plus two and a half. Over under set at 43 and a half. Boz, what do you got? So, uh, like you said, I think you've already hinted at this. I was shocked to see that the Commanders are at a plus two and a half. I guess they're saying that the the Fleet fans are going to come out and, you know, support their San Diego team since they don't have one anymore, and that's going to 
flip the field or this could be a trap. I don't know. I I hate taking bets where where I think that this is almost a hundred percent lock um, because I'm almost a hundred percent wrong on that. But there's no way that the Commanders lose this game. They win this game by twenty. It, Whenever I see a line like this, I just start to question everything I know. You, you I, just start to think, what does Vegas know that I don't know? That's the only explanation at this point. Plus two and a half for San Antonio. That's I, like I don't know why you wouldn't take it. They they played so they've played so well so far. Um, I mean, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna get free money. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously until we my, all realize that Vegas was right all along and San Diego mm-hmm. takes it by ten. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm gonna agree with you for now. I, I don't, I don't see it. I originally thought, you know, in my mind, I just assumed that that was minus two and a half for San Antonio, but plus two and a half, I'm taking San Antonio, and I'm sticking with the under at 43 and a half. This, you know, these two teams combined for 21 points in the first game. They played each other. Uh, you know, San Antonio showed some more offense against Orlando, but. I think we're going to see more of the same. I think we're going to see a low-scoring affair. It keeps it under 43.5. Yeah, when in doubt, take the under. Um, I'm taking that, too. It, it's, it kind of seems like Vegas is just sticking around that 44 line. Uh, we see it with three of the games outside of that uh, le- that Birmingham game. Um, I Just when in doubt, take the under. It's, it's, it's won you some money so far this year, so why not stick with it? Yeah, speaking of which, why don't you uh, give the fans the updates on the standings here for the year, boss? Take it away. All right, well, we're both doing good in our own ways. So, obviously, you wouldn't want to follow my pick, so I'm winning people money because they're going to fade me every single pick. So, they're winning money. Uh, you know, I'm 6-10 and 10 on the year, which isn't bad. You know, in baseball, that would be a good batting average. But uh, but you again kept it up. You had a winning week at five and three to move your record at thirteen and three. So still perfect on the over unders. Uh, you know we're gonna have to start selling your picks or something. I you, we can't give these picks away for free for you. You heard it. Take the over unders to the bank. Those are a lock, hundred uh, percent. You said, and I've never selected an incorrect over under in the history of the AAF. So. Take those picks to the bank. Bet your life savings on it. Do whatever you have to do. Uh, and we appreciate you listening to us on our show here tonight and listening to our picks. I, you know, I hope they win you some money. Uh, I, you know, Thank you again for listening to this edition of Inside the Alliance podcast presented by K2 Sports. Uh, on behalf of Kevin Boswick, my name is Kevin Long. Signing off. Enjoy the weekend of football. And we look forward to talking to you next week.